Good morning. Carolina Music Social Club, as always, you have reminded us of the stories and of the spirit. On August the 24th, 1976, a new life came into the world. The baby, however, was not breathing and was taken immediately from her parents into emergency surgery. The mother and father had absolutely no idea what was going on, and it would actually be hours before they were told what was happening with their firstborn, the one who had arrived just 11 days after their 10th wedding anniversary. Soon, the father learned first that the baby had a collapsed lung, was put on a respirator, and placed in an incubator in the ICU. For days, the doctors and nurses monitored the baby, and on one visit to the mother, when asked if the baby would make it, the doctor said, well, I wouldn't bet my retirement on it. The mother was then discharged and went home, but without her baby, wondering, will I ever bring my baby home? Five days after the baby was born, on the daily visit, the mother went to the hospital and found the nurse sitting at the ICU desk crying. The mother was prepared to hear that her baby had died. Remember, pre-cell phone days. Crying, the nurse said, I only turned away for a moment. When the mother asked what happened, the nurse replied, she pulled her breathing tube out. Moments later, the doctor came in and checked on the baby and wanted to know why the breathing tube was not down her throat. The nurse replied that the baby had pulled it out. The doctor said, that's impossible, put it back in. So the nurse, doing as always instructed, reinserted the tube and the mother, the nurse, and the doctor watched as the baby pulled the tube out once more. The doctor turned to the mother and said, well, don't ask me about letting you hold her yet. The next day, the mother went back to the hospital to check on the baby, and the doctor said, well, you can hold her, but don't ask me about letting you feed her. The following day, the mother went back in the to see the baby, got to hold the baby, and the doctor said, well, you can feed her, but don't ask me about taking her home. On Labor Day Monday, the mother and the father went to the hospital, and the doctor said, well, you can take her home today. Over the years, the child experienced no long-term effects from her traumatic birth, except that it did make her very strong-willed, sometimes defiant, but always fighting for those who were and are not given much of a chance. This is my birth story. It's probably one of the first stories that I learned growing up. My parents would tell it to me as a reminder of humans, even doctors, not knowing everything. They would retell it to me as a reminder of the strength of the human spirit, and they would tell it to me when I was being defiant, rebellious, and otherwise annoying. The stories we tell matter. In the two texts we have today, we have two images of women in very different circumstances. In Genesis, the passage begins with Adam and Eve hearing God go for a walk. For just a moment, can you conjure that image in your mind? God out for a stroll? And the humans, the ones made in God's image, immediately go into hiding. Like one who is caught in a lie, they look for ways to cover it up, make it better, 
make it less obvious. Then through their conversation with God, the telling of the story, a case has been made for generations to make jokes, exude power, and shame women. Yet that is not the true message of this text. Rather, it is a story of why birthing in all ways is hard. It is a story that humans told when they could not understand why something was the way it was. It should be read as Will Gaffney says, a vision of an Edenic world in which people did not have to struggle. Humanity lives with and within those parameters, occasionally transcending them. The story we tell matters. This story of Eve and the serpent has been used as a tool of harm towards women. The idea that women are relegated to a life of pain and misery, submission and subjugation is rooted in this narrative and others from the Edenic tales. Friends, we need to tell the story that transcendence is possible, that we are not bound by a few moments in time, that we have the ability and the call to rise above. In the Gospel of Mark, women are mentioned in this apocalyptic illustration among those who are being told to leave and flee and run from the dangers of the desolating sacrilege. It is the women, those who are pregnant and nursing, who will struggle the most when the power is wielded in a way that sets out to destroy. The powerful seek out the most vulnerable first. And who is more vulnerable than a pregnant or a nursing mother in a crisis? We need only to turn on the news and see the images coming out of Ukraine to know the answer to that question. So why would Jesus even bother mentioning a part of society that others ignored? Because to Jesus and to others, we know that they were and are and will be a part of the community. They have a place of importance because of their existence. And therefore, they should not be overlooked, forgotten, or left behind. The stories we tell matter. For generations, biblical stories have placed women in a particular box, a box of weakness, vulnerability, struggle, and less than. Yet again, Gaffney says this, these readings present women as the mothers of creation, possessors of forbidden knowledge, bound by reproductive cycles, part of a creation that gives praise inseparable from the love of God, and disciples of Jesus endangered by their faith, yet among the elect who will ultimately be saved. For too long, the stories of women in the Bible, with the exception of a few, have been told in a way as to remind women, little girls, and all in between of their place in the world. These stories have shaped the way that generations of women have viewed themselves, both as individuals and as a group. So you can imagine my turmoil that I had within myself growing up, knowing my birth story, knowing that I fought to be in existence, to have a place in the world, only to be told through scriptures, not my parents, that I was less than, that I was cursed, that I was a second-class citizen. So what was I supposed to do with this? 
I became obsessed with stories. I mean, obsessed. I wanted to understand another's experience, and I wanted to glean insight into their worldview, into their humanity. And honestly, I learned this from watching my dad. If you meet my dad, a little forewarning, you will move quickly from, hello, my name is, to, oh yes, my best friend in third grade was so-and-so, and here's why. He has this magical ability of getting to the core of humanity. My dad instilled in me this love for, of hearing the stories of people, where they come from, what are they passionate about, and how they experience God in the world. It leads to relationship. It leads to community. And in order to get there, we have to make space for listening to the good and the hard. In 2007, there was a highly controversial presidential election happening in Kenya. Across the country, Kenyans were protesting and the military was using force to quell the people. The civil unrest went on for weeks, but for most of the world, they didn't even understand or even know what was happening. Then a group of bloggers and software developers decided to create a way for the Kenyans to tell their story. They called the project Hushahadi, and it has become one of the world's largest crowdsourcing platforms. Their mission is to create technology that helps people gather and map and analyze information that will build a better world. It was the experience of their siblings in Kenya that, that inspired this. The hard, painful stories of those siblings moved this group of people from a small website to an international nonprofit. The stories we tell can change the world. Individual story is so valid. It needs to be heard. It needs to be understood. And the way to understanding is to say, tell me more. Tell me more opens the space for experiences to have a light shined on it. We cannot live into tell me more if we are always trying to one-up another in our own story. As Oprah Winfrey says, I believe that humanity, that the humanity that all of us share is the story of our lives and everybody has a story. Your story is as important as the next person's story. The world is made up of stories of humanity. The entertainment industry was born from storytelling, from movies to books to podcasts to music. Stories are everywhere. And the ones that stay with us are the ones that change us. How are we making space for stories to be told? Recently, I had an email from someone saying, no more Zoom meetings, they are not a path to connecting. Immediately, an image came to my mind. The image was that I had two back-to-back -back Zoom meetings just a few days before with two individuals, one who was in his 80s and one who was a nursing mother. I heard some of their stories. I had the honor of being in a space where there was laughter and tears and there was connection. And now we have this story to tell.
So before you think I'm being too positive, overly Pollyanna, giving you only sunshine and happiness, we need to bring in the stories that are just not true. The stories that don't always shine a bright light. The stories that acknowledge that not everyone's experience is the same and doesn't need to be treated as such. I will be the first in the tell the truth line. Even the stories that maybe we think should not be told probably need to be told. In those stories, we gain awareness, gain knowledge, and gain a new perspective. I'm not one to sweep the fractured fairy tales under the rug. I'm willing to tell you my hard stories, the ones that I would not want passed on from generation to generation, the ones where I had to admit I was wrong, I messed up, the ones where I had to accept my own humanity. So then what do we do? We go back to saying, tell me more. We ask the hard questions and we create space for hearing and listening. When we gather together in whatever format that looks like, we say, tell me the story. As we aim to build community, to rebuild community. Let's put forth the stories that reflect the example of who Jesus was bringing in, listening to, and including. Let's be mindful of where we can realize who may or may not be at the table and how we can do better. Let's start by sharing the stories of our church that reflect amazingness, goodness, love, and learning. The stories that show how we embrace the hard, the unpopular, and yet the God thing. Stories that start like this. George Heaton and the Free Pulpit. A viewpoint, a viewpoint that stimulates ministry and breaks new trails. It broke the traditional church mold and immediately became one of our early stories. Carlisle Marnie and his words that spoke against white supremacy in an, area, in an era when no one, especially in the South, was talking about it and where the 11th commandment of most Southern churches was, just be nice. Gene Owens, who preached against and worked to end the death penalty, going so far as to pass around pen and paper in this space saying, sign this petition. Steve Shoemaker, who took the work that Gene Owens had begun with the LGBTQ plus community and expanded it so that the words of our covenant said, open to all. This meant taking a stance, not that just in this space, but in other spaces that opened the path for so many to find us, to connect with us, and to share their story with us. And let's tell the story of our church raising money in 1954. 1954, to send 39 black American children to a camp led by a Myers Park Baptist Church member. And the story of the Myers Park Baptist Church women who were so horrified by the 1963 bombings of 16th Street Baptist Church that they issued a statement that said to the congregation, it was time to be more involved in the movement towards desegregation. 
Tell the stories of the members who are being inspired and empowered to create programs and ministry that center around the environment, education, housing, hunger. The list goes on and on. Tell the story of how our members wrestled and dreamed and formed statements around immigration, racism, and inclusion. Tell the story of how we have been found by so many in a time when no one was leaving their homes, very few were looking for a church, and even fewer were saying, I want to make a commitment to this church, to this community. The story of how we said we want to do more than just read and learn about hot top, hard topics. We want to put ourselves in the middle of the stories of racism, classism, xenophobia, mass incarceration, homophobia. The list again goes on and on. We share how our experience, our story has impacted these systems of harm and how the stories of others have impacted us and move us toward change. These are the stories I want to hear. These are the stories we want to tell our children and our grandchildren and generations to come. These are stories that are rooted in seeing that things cannot stay the way they are. And it is our responsibility to take the story and make it new, make it more whole, make it what God desires. We cannot allow ourselves to be stuck in a place that demolishes, but we need to move to a place that is building. We need to stop the talking over one another, figuratively and literally. We need to wake up to our role, individual, collective, in the, in the place of destruction. And we need to embrace and live into and follow the words of 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up. Tell the stories that do that and tell the stories that show when the community is working together, focusing on the call of God, the table gets longer and longer. Tell the stories, our stories, that show how we can and have and will embrace the hard things, finding a way to bring God's dream for the world true. So, what's your story? Have you told it? And have you listened to the stories of others? For just a moment, will you push your academic self aside? Engage the other part of you, the heart and the soul, and wonder with me for just a moment. I wonder what Eve would say if she knew that her story was told and repeated to the point of denigrating women for centuries that her story was given as a reason for women to be second-class citizens for generation, that her story was the punchline of jokes told in bars and pulpits, that her, stories, that her story was one of the reasons why women were told by men when they felt called by God that they were wrong. And I wonder, I wonder what Jesus would say if we had to tell him that too often we forget that there were women in his entourage supporting him financially, emotionally, and caring for his needs. I wonder what Mary and the other Mary and Salome would say if they knew that we only mentioned them once a year, maybe, rather than tell their story as a story of courage and bravery 
every single Sunday, not just on Easter. And all of the other women in the Bible, those who are named and the ones who are not, the stories that have been repeated or overlooked, memorized or forgotten, I wonder what they would say. As we move from one week to the next, let's tell the stories that we need to hear. Let's make space in person or over Zoom, on the patio or on the phone, any space that creates the chance to hear from one another. And let's say, tell me more. And then let's tell it. These are the stories from our past and our present. All of these stories will lead us into the future. These are the stories that will help us build and rebuild community. These are the stories, the ones that we tell, will build the community that we want. So, what is the story? Amen.